Well, turn in your Bible to Matthew 24 and 25. We're going to continue talking about preparing your life uh, and family uh, for the end of days. I threw that doomsday preppers out there just as a hook. Uh, how many of you know preparing your life and family is not about gas mask and food uh, back up? You could have all those things. I, I kind of joke a little bit about the doomsday preppers on TV. If I were one, I wouldn't, got on, I wouldn't be on TV. I don't want anybody knowing that I'm a prepper. Uh, because if, if, if something does happen, I don't want anybody to know where I've been. I don't want them coming and getting my food. I'm out of here. But that's, uh, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, 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 realistically, though, a lot of people, when they think about the end of days, they think about survival. And, and how many of you have been on TV? There is a boatload of, of shows about survival. It kind of began back when Survivor came on. And man, in fact, today, this afternoon, I just turned on the TV a minute. I was actually setting the DVR for the Mavericks tonight. It comes on at 8.30. And, and there was a show surviving. I don't know. They're on this desert. I mean, on this island and had nothing. And gosh, I was going, man... Uh, that's the mindset of, of, of people today. I've got to survive. But I believe God wants us to thrive. In fact, when you look at the end of days, and how many of you realize we are in the end of days? The, the, the Bible calls them the last days. From a prophetic standpoint, I can't go back and rehash all this, but uh, really uh, when Pentecost came, uh, maybe when Jesus came, but uh, for sure when on Pentecost, uh, Peter gets up and reads Joel 2, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, he said, basically, this is that. <clears throat> and so at least when the church was birthed, it began what by the Bible calls the last days. The age of grace it is. It's the church's hour. You see, we were born, the church was born for the last days. We're not here to sur survive the last days. We're here to thrive in the last days. This is the church's finest hour. But we've got to awaken to the reality that we are, in fact, living in the last days. And as you look to Scripture, you can begin to see that we're moving. And I, I don't have time to read it all, but Jesus talked about the beginning of sorrows. Uh, and we talked about this Sunday, you know, the, the mass execution of Christians. Uh, uh, many, many are some of whom were our Church on the Rock family in Garissa, uh, Kenya. Uh, they were martyred for, for their faith. And, and, the, and the scripture says in verse 9 of Matthew 24, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I'm telling you, did you know that the Christians are not the, not the most popular people in town? Even though we're probably a majority, we're not, there are people who hate us. There are segments of society who hate us. I'm, I could start calling some. I, I'll start, you know... For, well, gosh, the radical Muslims, they do not like Christians. They believe we are the infidels and they want us all to die. I'm telling you, look at your neighbor and say, we're living in the last days. And so what this series on Sunday morning, we took a break from it from, uh, on, on Easter Sunday. We'll be back Sunday morning. Uh, hi, Ryan. How you doing, man? Good to see you. Boom. Uh, we took a break from it Sunday morning. We'll be back. And tonight I'm going to kind of finish this little mini Wednesday uh, segment uh, uh, for you. But let's just look to Matthew 24 and 25 uh, and let's jump in. I'll rehash the, 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 the only two things we talked about here on the last two Wednesday night. Jesus, when the disciples in Matthew 24 asked a big question, uh, three big questions in verse, uh, verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, uh, and if you've ever been there, uh, you know there's the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives. You look over to the Temple Mount. Anybody ever been there? Jeremy went with me. My wife's been there. Let me just say, let me throw it out to you. You ought to go sometime. Uh, man, Felicia, you ought to go. Rachel, you ought to go. Uh, man, it just should go. Uh, it just, it, Ryan went. Man, I, in fact, it's just hard not, it's just hard when, you know, I feel bad being so excited about having been there if you've never been there, but you should go. Uh, take some time, money, energy, and go. I'll help you do it. I'll help you, not financially, but I'll help you, I'll help you go. So you get the picture. Jesus would uh, go up to the Mount of Olives and pray. In fact, those, uh, I'll never finish tonight. I'm just talking about Israel. Those olive trees there, they say, could be as old as Jesus was, and actually he prayed in that olive grove. 
so you can go there and actually pray uh, around the place where Jesus prayed. Uh, and uh, you look across the Kedron Valley, and there's the Temple Mount. And so they'd walk through the temple that Jesus prophesied Jerusalem's destruction, and the disciples got all shook up, and they asked him these three questions. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Everybody wants to know when. We already learned, when you read Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus does not answer when. In fact, in fact it says not even the angels know. So, you try to figure it out, get all your charts and diagrams and, and blood moons and red moons and all those things together. You can enjoy doing all that, but listen, you will not know when. Okay, so you're not going, he didn't answer that question. He did give us some signs of the times and he did get, and, and, and kind of mysteriously talked about a few things to kind of, I think, keep us, uh, 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 well, I, I'm going to give away tonight, keep us on the ready, if you will. And so he asked them this, and Jesus had two great concerns that he addressed right off the bat. We've already looked at them. The first one was this, in Matthew, the first thing he said, how many of you know, when they asked those questions, he hit, he hit a big concern. He said in verse 4, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Listen, in the last days, and we already talked about it, you can go get it online, uh, I gave you a building a shield of deception protection around you and your family. He says many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Who would have ever thought that, that Islam would have exploded across uh, the world like it has? I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. And many false prophets rise up. And so the first thing Jesus said about preparing your life and family for the end of days, you better build a hedge of deception protection around your life. And, and, and it's happening here in, our, in, in, in American culture. There's, there's a deception uh, even about the validity and the necessity of the local church and people's life. Did you know there's a boatload of Christians who just don't go to church because they don't think it's necessary? I'm telling you, they are deceived. If you've got anybody like that, you just love them and tell them, man, uh, you're not reading the Bible, I'm reading. Uh, Jesus wants us to plug into the local church and get involved. So it's happening. And the second great concern Jesus had uh, was not was after take heed that no one deceives you. It was this. It was about trouble. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Everybody say, see that you're not troubled. Last Wednesday night, we talked about not allowing trouble to trouble you, to look beyond your trouble and see what's going on. You need to understand, as I said, this is the church's hour. We were born and made and developed and built for the last days. And so there's going to be trouble. Well, I don't have time to read it all, but there's trouble. That's just, that's how it is. Uh, we can, we can, and let me just say, I think we ought to push back the darkness, but the main way you push back darkness is by letting the light shine. If you spend all your time fighting darkness and, and, and don't shine the light in a world that so desperately needs Christ, you get distracted from, from, from the real purpose of God. And that is the gospel of the kingdom being preached in all the world. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in, the, in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then what happens? And then the end will come. And so, so that's what we've been talking about. And now tonight... I want to just kind of give you a big overview of some things. Uh, and really, Matthew 24 and 25 have to do with Jesus answering those three questions. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of interesting insight. Let me see if I have time to chase a rabbit. I have a little time. Uh, just to, just to back up, I said I'm not going to try to address this. You know, there's, there's controversy. In fact, Matthew 24 and 25 is really not about the end of days. It's about being ready for the return of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so there is theological controversy and disagreement about, uh, about how this all plays out. Uh, we, pretty much everybody believes there's a seven-year tribulation, and there is. Daniel, six, uh, Daniel 9, in fact, Jesus addresses it in verse 15 when he talks about the abomination of desolation and Daniel the prophet, uh, it's the great tribulation. So Jesus mentions the great, verse 21, for then there shall be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world. Now, uh, there's controversy on whether or not the church will be here in the tribulation. Uh, you've heard the word rapture, right? Uh, you know, uh, that word is not actually in the New Testament, but it's a descriptive 
of, of, uh, of a, a, an event uh, that theologically is very sound on this side as well. Uh, for example, if you go over to Matthew 24, uh, verse 36 to 44, he's talking about the, it'll be as in the days of Noah. And everybody will just be hunky-dory, basically. One will be taken and the other left. Uh, it's like surprise. Now, it, now at the tribulation, when the Antichrist, I mean, the prof- prophetic insight about the tribulation is very vivid and very descriptive and very self-explanatory. Now, and, and so it seems as though Jesus is giving two separate descriptives of his return. It seems. It seems as though there may be a rapture of the church that comes prior to the tribulation or some believe halfway through the tribulation. And then there are those who believe there's not, there's only one return and that's the end of the seven year tribulation. However it all pans out, I find that this to be true. We win in the end. Amen. And so, so you've got to not let trouble trouble you. Now the overall theme of this, of Jesus thoughts were be ready. Everybody say be ready. Don't be caught off guard by his return. And so he gets illustrative about that fact through some parables. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to mention the parables uh, and kind of show them to you and, and, and see this theme running through Scripture. And then I'm going to give you some, some, uh, some, I'll call them parabolic principles for end of days preparation. Uh, and I'll give you some of those. But let me just show you uh, the, the first, gosh, all the way down through... Uh, 31 of chapter 24, he's given signs and, and just descriptives of his return. And then he starts giving parables. I, I won't look at the parable of the fig tree, though many people believe uh, that the parable of the fig tree, when you see it beginning to blossom, you know that his time is near. Some people believe that Jesus is speaking of Israel there. Uh, that was in 19, was it 43 or 48? 48. 1948, Israel became a nation. I actually uh, went to the actual, there I go again, the actual building where Israel was birthed again, a prophetic, uh, you know, uh, uh, fulfillment of of Scripture. Uh, And many people believe that this parable has to do with the rebirthing uh, of Israel and the fig tree beginning to blossom. Uh, uh, That's just a good thought. Now, let's, and then uh, he starts uh, uh, waxing illustrative uh, in parables, uh, but let me just show you verse 42 uh, when he says, no man knows the day or the hour. He says, verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You see, it's all about Jesus coming back. And in fact, what did I say the last bit of red was in scripture? Anybody remember the last red that's red? Pardon me, the last red that's red in the Bible? I'm coming quickly. Jesus said, go to the end of Revelation. In fact, let me just go over. I don't think it's the last verse, but it's close. Uh, It might be. Here we go. I'm getting there. Um, Oh, yeah, the second to last verse. Uh, Surely I'm coming quickly. Even so come, Lord Jesus, John said. So second to last verse. It's all about Jesus and his return. So he doesn't want us to be caught off guard. All right. Verse 44, he says, therefore you also do what? Everybody say, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay? And then he gives the parable of the faithful servant and the evil servant. And, and, and basically, gosh, I, I want to read all these. But uh, the, the, the Lord of the house, the master uh, of the household, he, he gave uh, uh, each uh, two servants some responsibility and, and for them to do what was right. And the evil servant, the master was delayed. He began to beat his uh, other servants and be uh, unhealthy and unholy with them. Uh, and, uh, and the master comes back and, and, and just basically uh, lays the gauntlet down very realistically. Now, let me say this about parables. They are illustrated stories that, that teach a message. They're not really, you can, you can underscore doctrine with a parable, but don't create doctrine out of a parable or, or, or a life lesson in your life. You understand doctrine. It's a core foundational truth. For example, let me read this, verse 51. 
this is what he did with the, uh, with the uh, evil servant. And he will cut him in two and appoint him with the, his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, how many of you want to start the doctrine of the cutting in two? I mean, you don't, you don't want to do that. Uh, he's talking about judgment on, on that. He's, uh, he's, don't build a doctrine about that, but understand what's he saying. You better be ready for the master's return. It's an illustrated parable. So when you read parables, you know, he's just, what's he trying to teach us? Don't get all involved in trying to make all the, you know, make the parable fit doctrinally with other foundational core principles of the, of scripture. They may, they may not. He's just telling a story for one point. You get that? And when you read the parables that way, he just, what's, what one point is he telling us? And so this parable, hey, you better be ready. Don't be off playing the fool when, when you're supposed to be busy about the father's business. And then the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins in chapter 25. Now, remember, he's answering this question. When? What's the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And he goes on this long, it's not a tangent, that sounds negative, this long dissertation with these disciples saying to them in multiple methodologies and ways and means and illustrations, you better be ready and not be caught off guard for the Lord's return. You know what I hear people all the time saying? He's been saying that for years. In other words, I don't really believe he's coming back. Have you ever heard that? You probably said it. They've been saying it since Jesus come. Well, hey, it could happen any day. And a day with the Lord is a thousand. A thousand is a day. According to Jesus, we're just in a little speck of time waiting for the prophetic insight, uh, the fulfillment of Scripture to take place. And the end will come. Uh, so, hey, Jesus is coming again. And so the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, you know, uh, they were, uh, uh, was it 12 or 10? 10 virgins. And some were wise, some were foolish. And the ones that were foolish took no oil. Oil. They had lamps, but they had no oil. Now, how many of you know a lamp without oil is just a decoration? Okay, it has no purpose. And then there were wise uh, uh, women who took the lamps and they had oil. And then when the bridegroom came, and, and, and people try to take that and, oh, what does all this mean? And, you know, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And you can go down that road if you want. And you might find some parallels, but I'm telling you, he's just telling one point. Don't be foolish and unprepared when Jesus comes back. You get it? Everybody say, I got, if you got it, give me a smile and a nod. All right. And then the parable of the talents. And, and verse, I mean, here he's, he's one, two, three. He's hitting parable number four. How many of you think Jesus is trying to get a point across? And if I were there that day because I'm a little impatient and I'd have caught it on the first parable, I said, I got it. You, uh, you don't have to go, I got it. Evidently, uh, and I probably would not be as sharp as these disciples, but uh, man, man, he is. When you repeat yourself in a hundred different ways, you're trying to get the point across. Be ready. Everybody say, be ready. And then the parable of the talents. Uh, you know, he, the, uh, kind of the same illustration, but the master of the house went to a far country and he gave five talents to one uh, uh, servant. He gave, was it three? He gave three. Three or was it two? Three to another and one to another. And basically, they had the responsibility not only of tending it, but multiplying what had been, had been invested. And you know the story. The master comes back and he settled accounts with them. And the one that had five turned it into ten. The one that, was it three? This is two. One that had two turned it into four. And the one that had one didn't understand. And he just buried it and he just gave it back. And that's the one who Jesus rebuked. And basically the whole theme of the thing is, again, you just were unwise and ill-prepared and not accomplishing and preparing your life for my return. So, and then, after he does all that, now, he's very clear. When you go to the verse 31 through 46, he, he, he gets out of the parabolic illustration, and then he begins to talk about the, the, the judgment of God and how all people will come together at some point at the end of day, at the end of the end of days. Did you know we'll all stand before him? Lost and found, we'll all stand before him. 
And there's two judgments, just for your knowledge and understanding. There's the great white throne judgment. Let me just suggest to you, don't show up for that one. Because it doesn't turn out good for anyone. It's that weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's where everyone who ne- who, who's ever lived and whoever uh, without Christ is judged officially and they're, and they're cast off into the lake of fire. Don't want to be at that judgment. Then the other one is the judgment seat of Christ. If you want some scriptural reference, 2 Corinthians 5 is the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgments, Revelation 20, 11. Now, Jesus does illustrate these two in a way with sheep and goats. And so, Matthew 25, verse 31, he says, he'll all be gathered together. He'll take the sheep. Everybody go, amen. Okay? He'll take the sheep and put them on his right hand. That's where you want to be in case you're a little thin on your theology. All right? You want to be at his right hand. And the goats, uh, there's nothing good for the goats, okay? So you don't want to be a goat. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, don't be a goat. Be a sheep. All right? And let me just say, sheep follow the master. Goats are are hard-headed rebels. And so I waxed a little illustrative there. And so he gets very serious about the response. And we'll talk about this later because I'm getting a little. I just want to give you an overview. He talks about, I was hungry and you fed me. And they say, when did we do, not do that to you? When you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren. Uh, and then those who had did, done that, he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. We'll talk about that later. So, so there you go. There's the kind of the big snapshot. But you need to get this. If you don't get this, I'm telling you, I believe there are eschatology theologians who have it oozing all the, all the minutia of eschatology. If you don't know that word, uh, you're in good company. It's the study of the end, end times. It's a big, big word about the study of the end times. There are eschatology uh, theologians, and I want to call them specialists. What's a better word? Uh, yeah, I don't know. They just know it, but th- they get caught up in the when... When Jesus said, I'm not going to answer that one for you. It's just amazing to me how people want to keep answering the when. When Jesus said, the angels don't even know. Got it? Okay, they don't know, so you don't know. <laughs> you, can, you can beat yourself up. You, you do not know. Everybody say, nobody knows. Okay? Years ago, this guy wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And then, when it, then he did 88 Reasons, 89 Reasons Why He Didn't Come in 88 or something like that. He, Made a little money, but uh, he didn't know. Nobody knows. And so they, get all, they got all the knowledge here, but they are not preparing their hearts. I'm, I'm convinced that there's a lot of uh, theologians when it comes to, hey, some of the serious trouble in our land, they're just going to be going, well, wait a minute, they're trying to put their charts together. No, we need to be out winning souls. Amen? And blessing people. That's our job. Everybody said amen. Whew, I got all frothed up there. All right, parabolic principles for end of days preparation. Jesus in these parables, I believe, teaches some, some just some, some lessons of life that, that we need to embrace in preparing our life and family for the end of days. You need to understand something about the days you live in. It's, uh, hey, planet Earth is the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere. Everybody go TikTok. Paul said, redeem the time for the days are evil. Now, I love my family. I love going. We went to the fair twice last week. I mean, I'm telling you. Uh, I mean, we just kind of helped buy tickets, and we had to borrow a loan. I had to stop the credit. You can get a loan to get out. Of, I'm joking. I mean, I mean, I love being with family. I love doing fun things. But listen, our primary focus has to be fulfilling the Great Commission and fulfilling, fulfilling the responsibility we have as saints in these last days. So, I see, some, I see some life lessons, some parabolic principles. Here we go. The first one is this, uh, and it's very clear throughout these parables, and it's the principle of faithful and wise service. If you want to prepare your life and family for the end of days, place yourself in the middle of the business of God and be faithful and wise in the fulfilling of the business of God and the business at hand. And you see that, uh, you know, the faithful servant and the evil servant uh, uh, and, 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 and being faithful to do what God would have you to do. 
Uh, and then when you get over to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, uh, it's well done thou good and what? Faithful servant. The word faithful means trustworthy. I like that one better because you know what a lot of, did you know a lot of people have watered down the definition of faithful? Let me just tell you, there's a lot of people who consider themselves faithful to God. Could I get this off my chest? They ain't been to church in a month. And they still believe they're walking faithful to God. They haven't witnessed to one person in a month and they call themselves faithful. Come on now. We've watered down faithful to the point if I show up every once in a while and throw my few bucks in the pot, keep the preacher off my back, and just keep going down the road, que sera, sera, uh, all is well. Listen. We've watered down faithful. I love the word trustworthy. That means you can be trusted. And in these last days, if you want to learn anything from this being ready, you better be trustworthy and faithful in your service to God and His church and His overall kingdom purpose in the earth. And In fact, we realize that our purpose here is, you remember what he said, the last words, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptize. Hey, parents, listen carefully. Your job is not to raise good kids and make sure they make straight A's, even though that's a part of it, and, and don't smoke, chew, or go with the girls that do. No, your job beyond that is to raise up sons and daughters of God who grow up not to be good kids, but to be good men and women who serve the Lord all the days of their life and are trustworthy, and they win souls. Hello, could I get a better amen? And so, God, hey, parabolic principle man it's just it just threw out here build a life of trustworthy faithful service to god faithful and wise service i love this word wise uh because we talk about the wise uh virgins and the uh there's wisdom involved that word wise means thoughtful keen mental discernment and good judgment in these last days we need faithful people who have some keen spiritual mental discernment about the the end of days and and are sensitive to the things of god and walk in wisdom and not foolishness amen so it's a great principle it's the principle of faithful and wise service i believe god's calling us all to step it up a notch you know there was a thing going on in the church for a while we dumbed down the gospel so we could try to get more people we're dumbing it down hey just come and get you some coffee enjoy the fellowship and man we got games for the kids and oh man they're just gonna love to come and all those things are okay but we watered down the, the we're just trying to get folks in the house listen and we can have a whole boatload to folks in the house but if they're not faithful and trustworthy for the next generation we have we have messed up royally we need some faithful and wise service especially in these last days amen and let me just say that right there is being attacked from all sides now you need to understand if we if we could stop and go home today if the devil and the world thought system could undermine faithful and wise service, we're finished. And he has. And in, culture, in our culture today, some of it's economic. You know, you got two income households, uh, and, uh, you know, and oh, we're wore out, and we, we got kids, we got, oh, OMG, we got, we got T-ball, for goodness sake. I mean, uh, literally, all those things conspire together to undermine faithful and wise service. And we need to watch out because we cannot let that... Un we need to... Everything must revolve around whether or not what Jesus wants us to do. He's not a part of the wheel. He's the center of the wheel. Amen? And so that's parabolic principle. Hey, uh, if you, if you want to you wanna be ready for the end of days... Uh, there needs to be faithful and wise service. And then the next one is this. It's the principle of wise preparation. You think about those virgins, and they had the, they had the, they had the, the lamps, but they had no oil. That's just, everybody said, that's pretty foolish. Now, he's addressing foolishness. Now, I love the definition of foolish. This is, this is from Scripture. It's dull or stupid. Everybody say, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. 
Don't be heedless. In fact, another word is a blockhead. Don't be a blockhead. That, that's literally, I didn't know there were such things as blockheads. But when I looked in the, in the Greek, this word foolish, dull, stupid, heedless, a blockhead. Let me tell you, I've been in pastoral ministry for now on, how many years, Beverly? It don't matter. Just give me a number. That's all I want, a big number, a bigger number. 35 years. <laughs> 35 years. And let me just tell you, I've done some foolish things. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess that first. But how many of you know you stick your finger in the light socket once, you're not supposed to do it again? I've, how many of you have learned from your mistakes? Okay, I've learned from a few. But pastorally, I've met some of these people right here. And, and, and uh, I just want to say, that's stupid. I told you not to do that. And I told, I told some people once, by the inspiration, I woke up in the middle of the night, I had a meeting with them, I woke up in the middle of the night, and this phrase, you can't fix stupid with stupid. And I sat down in this meeting, and I said, now, I, I gotta, I, you're going to have to put on your thick skin here because I've got to tell you something. It's what the Holy Spirit, when I woke up in the middle of the night with you on my mind, and here's the phrase that came to me. You can't fix stupid with stupid. Did you do something stupid? Yes, I did. You can't fix stupid by doing something stupid. You know what they did? The next day, went out and did something more stupid than the last stupid. I think the Holy Spirit spoke to me. But here, hey, wise preparation. Preparing our lives and family for the end of days. Now, listen, from every standpoint, we need to be ready. Financially prepared, mentally prepared, especially spiritually prepared for whatever might come. For we don't know when he comes. We need to be prepared. We can't be sitting around checking Facebook when Jesus comes back. Are you with me? Or playing words with friends, of which I do. I'm just being honest, but hey, I I prepare my life and don't send me... a. Aaron, don't start up again. Aaron and I, he, he beats me more now. Uh, huh? We're even? Oh, we are pretty even. Okay. I get very competitive. It's, <laughs> I was feeling pretty beat up. Uh, but hey, we cannot let the things of this world get us off track. We prepare, you know, our finances for retirement. All those things are good. You don't work, you don't eat. All that thing's great. But listen. Don't be dull and stupid spiritually. Think about it. How much time, energy, and effort do we spend preparing our lives and our families spiritually? Well, that's a preacher's job whenever we get there. Come on. Uh, and so it's a principle of wise preparation. In fact, uh, uh, I'm going to... Proverbs 6, I love this one. Proverbs 6. Uh, this, this principle is taught uh, throughout Scripture... Uh, Proverbs 6, uh, and this is kind of funny to me. Uh, verse 6, the, the, the proverb says, uh, Go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> I love this stuff. <laughs> you sluggard. <laughs> Look to the ant. In fact, I met the donut man years ago. He had a song. Uh, Look to the ant, though he doesn't have a leader, but he works very hard to build his house. I am an ant. <laughs> then he said, you are an uncle. I didn't make any sense. But this is where he gets it. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, he's talking about finances here, undoubtedly, and being prepared financially and being a wise, having wise preparation. But the principle, listen, you can have your 401k packed to the gills and all bills paid and Jesus come back and that's not what he's looking at primarily. He's wanting you to be ready spiritually. Amen? So, wise preparation. Everybody say faithful and wise service. And then the principle of wise preparation. 
And then number three, the, uh, the parabolic principle of relational integrity. I think this is good. It could, we could talk about this a while. Let me just, let me get back over to Matthew. I got off. Let me get back. Matthew 24 and 25. Relational integrity. Matthew 25, 12. Uh, uh, he tells the foolish virgins. Okay? He tells them this. Who didn't have oil. All right? Verse, what did I say? 12. Uh, Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, verse 11, Lord, Lord, open to us. They missed their chance because they were ill-prepared. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Everybody say, I do not know you. I have no relationship with you. Now, if I could just, if, if I could say to us today, and I know I'm preaching to the choir primarily, that if there was a little side note here to this lesson about these, virg- these foolish virgins is uh, they were not only ill-prepared, but he gives a little insight to their lack of preparation. They had no real relationship. And in the church today, and he's addressing the church when he's talking to disciples, uh, there is a, I've been using boatload a whole lot tonight. I'm going to throw it out one more time and I promise I'll quit. There's a boatload of folks in the church I don't know why. Uh, A boatload of folks in the church who are not born again, who have no real relationship with Jesus. And in this parable of the wise and foolish, he says, man, you better have it straight. You better, you better, it's not just uh, look the part. You know, the, the lamp looked the part, but there was no light. He said, I, I don't even know you. And in fact, Matthew 7, Jesus talks about those who will, in that day, will say, did we not do this in your name and do that in your name and do many mighty miracles? It doesn't say they did them. It says they said they did them. Uh, how many of you know anybody will fudge in a pinch? Uh, you know, when you're standing before Jesus, you'll try to make up something to get in there, right? Uh, and he said, you know what? Depart from me. I never knew you. It's not about what you do. It's about, it's not what you know and who you, uh, but who you know. You got to know him, okay? So it's relational integrity. You got, you got to get that down pat. You got to be integral and unflawed and untainted and, and, and unpolluted in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's an interesting, uh, uh, kind of addition to that thought in Matthew 25, 24, uh, with the faith, uh, with the parable of the talents, uh, uh, when the master came back and the one who only had one talent, who just hid his talent and he buried it and he gave it back, he says this. Uh, let's do it in verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you are a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, there, there you have what is yours. Uh, now, he had a flawed understanding in fact, his relationship with his master was not good. In fact, you can read between the lines and you feel a little bitterness bubbling up. I wonder why. I only got one. I'm as good as that guy. Hey, hey this guy's relational person was scarred undoubtedly scarred he just went and buried it and gave it back I knew you were a hard man I knew you were this and that and the other he didn't know his master listen what's he talking about here relationship man you got to have a relational and hey hey if you want to get this down uh, and, and your family and life there needs to be relational integrity with God and man by the way, I just saw that this, this yesterday. I thought that's great little insight to me personally about that guy who only had one. Uh, I could read between the lines, man. He was jealous with the others. He was upset. He was, oh, let me just say, what did, what did his Lord call him? Wicked and lazy. Now, that's, that's a pair. Wicked's bad. Wicked and lazy's real bad. Okay, so relational integrity. And then number four, parabolic principle number four, and uh, I'll speed up here because it's 808. Uh, it's the principle of spiritual alertness. 
Uh, Matthew 24, 42 and Matthew 25, 13, they say watch. Everybody say watch. Watch therefore. Watch therefore. Everybody say watch therefore. It means be spiritually alert, to keep awake, be vigilant. It's being spiritually in tune and vigilant. For you don't know what hour your, your master is coming. You've got to stay in tune with the Spirit of God and be alert. Don't be lulled to sleep. What did Paul, Paul say to the Ephesians? Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get uh, involved in things that cause you to become spiritually dull. You know what I'm doing tonight? Everybody say, what you doing, Pastor? I'm trying to keep you spiritually awake. In fact, today, I was a little tired. I did some hard manual labor. Uh, I'm, I, I used to be in, ma- in manual labor, and then many, many years ago, my wife said 35, I went into e-manual labor, and that lightened the load, and I got a little bigger load. Uh, but I did some manual labor these last couple of days, and I'm whooped. I was, I'm just kind of whooped. But when I get, get in here, man, whoo, I'm, I'm feeling spiritually alert. And so what am I doing tonight? Keeping you awake spiritually. Everybody say, wake up, wake up, wake up. All right, spirit, the principle of spiritual alertness. Last days, you can't be slumbering and sleeping. All right? And then number five, the principle here, hey, a parabolic principle for end of days preparation. It's the principle of heavenly accounting. Did you know there's an accounting system in heaven? Did you know there's a, you know, beyond the computer banks that you and I could ever dream up, there... Everything, did you know everything we do on planet earth is recorded in heaven? In fact, the Bible says that we will stand before God and give an account. Look over in uh, Matthew 25, verse uh, 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. We will all stand before God. In fact, uh, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then every one of us will give an account of himself to God. We're going to give an account. And I I mentioned this earlier, but Matthew 25, when it's the sheep and the goats, it's referencing the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, uh, We're going to sometime this year go through a series uh, in some fashion or another. It's The Life God Rewards by Bruce Wilkinson. uh, And the subtitle is, Why Everything You Do on Planet Earth Amounts for All Eternity. And I'm telling you, we will stand before God and give an account. There is a, you need to understand Jesus is coming back and we're going to all stand before him. What are we going to say? Well, some lie to him. Lost people lie. Well, we did this for you. We did that for you. Oh, all this. No, you know, I never knew you. And we want to be able to stand before God and, and hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will give you much. Uh, Enter on into the joy of your Lord. We're going to stand before God and give an account. In fact, the Bible says all of our, our, our works that are of, of, that are not of silver and gold or precious things will be burned up. Wood, hay, and straw. Get in the presence. You bring all your wood, hay, and straw. You can't make it into the presence with wood, hay, and straw. Look what I did. It's gone. Everybody go, it's just gone. It ain't making it. Only what matters for eternity. There's a heavenly accounting that we need to understand. Uh, And we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ, we give an account. But you know what that, the the judgment seat of Christ, just quickly, the Greek there is bema. It's it's like a reward ceremony. So thankfully, he's not judging us for what we didn't do. Uh, everything we did do that was of no value would hair struggles gone, and we are left with what we did do, and he rewards us accordingly. So some people, okay, here's your crown. Okay, I don't know how it works, but here's your crown. And then some, oh, here's your. I don't know how it all happens, but it's a rewards a reward ceremony. Okay, it's the heavenly accounting, and I'll talk about that quickly. And then number six, it's another principle that you and I need to embrace. Because we live in special times, parabolic principle for end of days preparation. We learn the principle of strict, I'm going to call it stricter judgment. We see some real, in these parables, some pretty strict judgment. Verse 51, I'm going to cut him in pieces and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. 
There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everybody go, ooh. Hey, and even with the foolish virgins, you know, hey, just because you're foolish doesn't uh, give you a grace card. I didn't know I was stupid. Try that standing at the door of heaven. I'm oh, sorry, I was just stupid. He said, I never knew you. You can't come in. I never knew you. Doesn't matter. You, you're stupid. It was stupid of you not to have oil in your lamp and have the light of God in your heart. And then you get over to the, to the one who, who was the wicked and lazy uh, servant. Look in verse 26 but, of, of chapter 25. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received uh, back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. I could have thrown that one out there as another one, but I want to tell you something. If you're faithful, you'll get the rest of what everybody was unfaithful with. Whew. That's awesome, isn't it? But look what he says. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and to him who have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, don't use this as theological foundation for, you know, man, if you just blow it every once in a while, you could go to weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about a principle. And I see this principle that, that, that those who have been entrusted, and let me tell you something, humanity, if they've heard the gospel, they've been entrusted with the gospel. Okay? In fact, there's a scripture about being entrusted with the gospel. And those who have been entrusted with the gospel have a huge responsibility with that, what they've been entrusted with. And according to these parables, if we are unfaithful and unwise and evil and non-responsive, there is judgment. Now, take that for whatever it is. But, man, I, I took special note to the serious nature of these, these life lessons uh, that there was serious judgment for unfaithfulness uh, for those who did not respond to the call of God in their life. And then finally, number seven, and I mentioned it earlier, it's the principle of eternal reward. Now, you understand something. We will be rewarded for the, for the things we did right here on planet Earth. Matthew 25, 21, I, read, I, read, I quoted it. It says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be faithful over a few, you've been faithful over a few things. Behold, I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, look down in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him. Uh, and let me just back up and say, not if the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes. In all His glory and all, all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and He will set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on the left. Now catch this, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I love it. There is a reward. Eternity with Christ. 140-something young students in Garissa, Kenya, in a hail of gunfire, demonic, maniacal, this radical extremist sent them into eternity to the eternal reward, and they're standing before God. And let me just tell you, there's a special crown for those. I can't go to the scripture who laid down their life for the gospel. And they have entered into their eternal reward. Whew, man. And tonight, we have huge responsibility to stand before the Lord, prepared and ready. Fulfilling his kingdom purpose in our life. We are living in the last days. It's not something that might, hey, we're already, in fact, when you look in Matthew 24, he said all these wars and rumors of wars, that's just the beginning of sorrow. See, you're not troubled. 
Then it says they'll start delivering you up to death. Oh, and then things start heating up. Then it says in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. And I've read the end of the book, by the way, and I see that there are, that there are representatives in heaven from every tribe, nation, in all of the earth. And so, uh, hey, the prophetic knowledge is we fulfill the kingdom purpose. So let's be busy about the Father's business. And everybody said amen. Whoo, y'all stand up with me. Let's pray. Let's, let's seal this in our hearts. I said this as we began tonight. You know, the scripture says he sent his word and healed them. In some way tonight, I think tonight's message brought some healing in somebody's heart. And I don't know how and why. But I want you to embrace that tonight. And I don't know how that would apply to you. But I sense I need to recap there and just say, let the healing of God be made manifest. Let the restoration of God be made manifest in your life. Let the word of God set up residence in your heart and begin to uh, heal you and help you and guide you and, and teach you. Father, tonight... As we finish out this little mini Wednesday night series in Matthew 24 and 25, let that word of God be made manifest in our life. And Father, tonight we ask you to use us in these last days. I want you to once again place your hand on your heart. And I want you to ask God to help you be used of God more than ever before. In these last days, Father, use us to do our part. Lord, not just by sending money to missionaries, but Lord, by being a missionary in Beaumont, Texas, and in Lumberton, and Vider, China, Port Arthur, and all around this region, and in our workplace. Use us. Tonight, I speak prophetically that some of you are in a place of great opportunity with some people's lives open your eyes and see how to walk through the door into their heart for some here I challenge you to just get in their boat and just begin to minister to them move beyond the sur surface issue and speak prophetically into their heart and see how God will use you so use us Lord in these last days help us be prepared and ready for we know you're coming quickly Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.